Welcome to the Christians in Culture podcast. Great to have you with us today for this special episode. My name is Rowan and my wife Jill and I are the lead pastors at C3 Camden, Picton and Thoreau in southwestern Sydney and the Illawarra region of New South Wales. So wherever you're joining us from, a warm welcome to you. In this season, we've been focusing on what it means to be a Christian in a COVID culture. How can we best represent Jesus in this polarized COVID time that we find ourselves in? And if you haven't checked out any of our previous episodes, feel free to go back and check out those or even episodes from season one that we recorded pre-COVID back in 2019. In this episode, I'm handing over the microphone to Pastor Edwina Stonebridge, our location pastor at C3 Camden, and uh, one of our amazing members at that location, Steph Penny. Steph uh, has written a book recently called Surviving Childlessness, and uh, she shares her journey and the journey of many other people in that book, and I highly recommend it to you. We'll have a link to that book in the show notes. And uh, recently, Pastor Edwina had the opportunity on our C3 Camden Facebook page to interview Steph. I was so impressed with the interview that I asked for their permission to also post it here on the Christians in Culture podcast. So if you'd like to watch the video version, feel free to head over to Facebook uh, C3 Camden and you'll be able to view it there. This interview took place during World Childless Week. Please don't switch off if you think, oh, I'm not childless, this doesn't apply to me. This content is not just for people battling childlessness, but it's an important issue for every one of us. How we can make people who are facing significant challenges that can often make them feel on the outer, how can we make them feel included and part of God's family? This is an essential topic. You'll hear Steph's heart, but the content applies to any group of people who might be in a minority, who might not feel uh, welcomed or accepted or understood in the Christian community. And what strikes me is so often, despite our best intentions, we're unaware of how we make people feel uncomfortable. So this interview is going to be challenging. It's going to be confronting for all of us, but I highly recommend it. And I believe that it's going to be uh, an important part of how you can represent Christ well to everyone within our community. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Pastor Edwina and Steph now, and I'll come back and chat with you at the end. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Edwina. I'm the location pastor at C3 Camden. Um, And just before we started to, I just wanted to acknowledge that if you are watching this today, we are in very strange times. We are in um, hard times and we hope that you're all doing okay. And and just to let you know that C3 Camden is here for you and uh, you can get in contact with us through our Facebook page or our other socials and uh, we'd love to be able to support you in this time. So we are here with Steph, uh, Steph Penny. She is an author, a blogger, a musician, a singer-songwriter, and I think an all-round pretty awesome human, (laughs) Um, who, along with uh, her husband, Chris, are very valued and loved members of our C3 Church Camden family. Um, And amongst her many contributions in so many ways, she has authored two books. Uh, The first one was Surviving Singledom, And her latest one is, oh, look, you're all prepared, ready to go. Her second one is Surviving Childlessness, Faith and Fur Babies, which is a great book. So welcome, Steph, officially. Welcome to our interview. Thank you. 
Um, and part of us wanting to do this interview today is to highlight uh, World Childless Week, which is uh, this week. And I think this is, um, you know, as a pastor, but also just as a member of society, <laughs> I think this is a really important conversation to have. And um, particularly in a society that is quite child centric and it, it can be quite child centric. And I think it's a, uh, often a conversation that sometimes we don't know how to have. Um, so I think that that is just, it's really good to be able to doing, to be able to do that. Um, and I've been checking out the, the blog, Steph's been sharing some um, of the content from World Childless Week this week, and you can check it out. I'll put the link in the, um, in the comments for people if they want to check it out. But I've really appreciated the many voices that have come out of that and, um, and just people sharing their lived experience of, of that. Um, and both men and women in that too. So um, I think that's really, really great. Um, so with all saying that, Steph, why don't you tell us first a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Edwina. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. And I don't know if you guys have been able to see yet, but I've actually got my fur baby on my lap. And every now and again, she kind of lifts her head up and looks around a little bit. Um, I kind of partially named my book after her, Surviving Childlessness, Faith and Fur Babies, because she's been a big part of my life and a big part of surviving singledom when I was single. And now she helps me with childlessness as well. So um, and having said that, there she goes. Yeah. So I'm just flicking a tail. So um, thank you so much again for having me. And it's such a great um, pleasure to be here as part of World Childless Week which is kind of, it's a week I look forward to each year in September because um, the stories that people share during this week are just incredible. And, um, and I know there's been a few I've read where it's like, wow, like our stories are so unique mm. and yet there's these similarities, there's these ways in which they overlap, there's common threads of, you know, our life was heading down one pathway and then it turned Mm. unexpectedly and then maybe it turned again and maybe it was a bit of a zigzag <laughs> that we did not see coming um, but somewhere along the line there was disappointment there was shock there was grief that hit in so um, I feel like I'm already getting into our content I haven't said much about me <laughs> yet, but, <laughs> but um, when you talk about World Childless Week I just get really excited I get really passionate about it I love hearing people's stories and I think the stories just grow each and every year we hear more and more about how people are, are suffering, but also surviving their mm. childless circumstances. So um, I, um, I haven't always been a writer. I've, I've long been a musician and a singer and a songwriter, um, been a Christian most of my life. Um, I, um, I kind of got kicked into writing by God. He kind of dropped me in the deep end there. So um, praise God for that. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> He, um, he and I had words one day and he was like, you know, just kind of looking at me like, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you write about it? Mm. And I was like, God, I don't have any training in writing, got no qualifications, got heaps of diaries filled with teenage angst. But other than that, <laughs> not, not a whole lot of writing experience going on here. And he didn't seem to care, just asked me to do it. Mm. So um, I'm grateful to him for that because in being able to write 
and share not just my story, but um, being able to kind of speak with people, interact with other people who share similar struggles. It's been such a blessing to me, such an inspiration to me. I hope it's a two-way street with them mm-hmm. as well. Um, but it's incredible to, to learn firsthand that we're not alone in our struggles. And that's what I endeavour to achieve with all my writing is the message that, yeah, this sucks, this is pretty crappy, but um, guess what? We're not alone in this. We don't have to do it alone. There's actually support out there. Um, if we connect with each other, we can support each other through this. So that's kind of, that's where my passion for writing comes in. And it's it's more than a passion. It's like a mission. It's mm. like a ministry unto itself. So um, so I love it. I yeah. love being able to do that. Yeah. And and look, I think you, you know, on a personal note, I think you're great at it, Steph. I think that, you know, I think often when God gives us those mandates, he also equips us with, you know, with the the skills. I think you've got a beautiful way of writing both in your book and in your blogs. I've been really, um, you know, in your blog posts, I've been really um, blessed by that and your style of writing. And so it's, yeah, it's amazing how God does that, isn't it? Like to, mm-hmm. yeah, to equip us for the things that he, he calls us into. And um, so for those who may not have read your book or may not have heard you speak before or seen your blogs or any of your posts, like tell, uh, if, you, if you don't mind, just tell us a bit of your story of childlessness. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely don't mind because it's um, it's all in here, so it's public yes. domain. <laughs> so oh, that's fair. No, no problems sharing, yeah. sharing that one. So um, what you'd call childless by forced choice. I'm a bit of a strange breed um, mm. because... Um, uh, for the uninitiated, the world of childlessness has these kind of terms or, or I guess kind of categories almost of, of different kinds of childlessness. So we've got childless not by choice and childless by circumstance, um, involuntarily childless. And these are all really worthy names and it, it helps to bring people together who can identify with that circumstance. Um, and then, of course, we've got child freedom which is completely different, even though it sounds very similar. Child freedom is people who happily and freely make a choice Mm -hmm. to live without kids and they remain happy with that decision and that life circumstance. Yeah. So childlessness, on the other hand, is where you wanted to have children but couldn't for Mm -hmm. whatever reason it might be and that that continues to be a bit of a, an ongoing challenge, I suppose, or an ongoing struggle in your life. So, um, so that's the difference there. But I found for myself, I, I was I'm basically childless for medical reasons. Mm-hmm. And you know, a childless friend told me once, "Oh, you know, you'd be childless by circumstance because your medical condition is a circumstance." And and while she was right, it felt a bit strange to me because it's like, well, I kind of. I made the choice not to try and have children even. And a lot of childless people have tried, Mm. tried really, really hard to conceive and they've tried IVF and maybe other reproductive technologies. Maybe they've tried adoption, um, donorship. There's all sorts of pathways that people have tried. And I hadn't even begun that journey. I just, I found out that I had this horrible autoimmune disease, which targets things like um, babies, growing inside you and it tries to destroy them so when I found that out I was like (laughs) I don't I don't know that I want to 
really, really do that. So my husband and I talked about it and we made that joint decision. Look, we think, you know, mm -hmm. we've got the probabilities here. We've got the stats. We've got the research. We think it's actually just way too risky. Yeah. So we made a decision to not have children, but it didn't feel like a choice that was freely or happily made. It actually mm -hmm. felt like a forced choice. It felt like we were backed into a corner by this horrifying medical risk. And so this term, this childless by forced choice, it might fit better for those of us who on the surface we may appear to have had a choice, mm. but really we felt the choice was effectively taken out of our hands. Mm. So often um, people or, or couples with um, disabilities in the picture might feel a bit kind of in a similar position um, or people with maybe trauma in their backgrounds or um, with chronic illness like myself or with other circumstances, perhaps domestic violence in the home or substance use in the home or things that, that make the situation kind of less than ideal, but also not necessarily um, uh, a safe or healthy place for, for kids to be. Um, so yeah, with that challenge in mind, I, I coined this term childless by forced choice. I don't know if it'll catch on or not yeah um, but I, think, I felt that was a better yeah. fit for me yeah yeah and I think that um I think it um really just you've described that well like I think that that dis decision or that difference between it's almost it almost sounds like a difference between a decision and a choice you know because just because you make decisions like you had to make a really hard decision but like you said you were felt like you're backed into a corner mm -hmm. and it was almost the only choice or that you know that he felt like that choice was taken out of your hands and um mm -hmm. so I, you know I, from from someone listening to that I think it sounds like a, a, a good way to describe that and to um mm -hmm. it it um yeah helps helps me understand that that process that you went through with that mm -hmm. um yeah so you know and this has you know been um a journey for both you and for for your husband and so why get to that point where you would write a book about it? <laughs> you've, you've alluded to that already, that God kind of said, Steph, this is, this is the story I want you to tell. Um, but why, why do you think, what do you see as your reasons for, for writing a book about childlessness? It really comes down to other people. It was for others that I started to write it. I was... Um, once I finished my first book, Surviving Singledom, a bunch of people came up to me and, and started suggesting ideas for a sequel. <laughs> and all of them recommended that I write a book on marriage. And I was like, hell no. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can pick someone else to yeah. write. That. Didn't feel have the call of God on you for that oh one. Oh, <laughs> my. Like, have, at the time I was like six years married. I'm like, dude, I'm not an expert. Like, seriously. <laughs> um but the other thing is, have you ever done a Google search for Christian books on marriage? Mm, like yeah. there's a gazillion results yep. that come yes. up, you know. So I thought I, I don't know that, that there's a really pressing need for mm. someone to write another book about that. Um, but one of my my childless friends actually kind of stopped me mid-conversation. She's like, no, no, Steph, don't, don't write like a marriage book. We want you to write about what it's like to be married in the church mm. and not have children. Mm. And it hit me in the guts. I was like, oh, yeah, yes, okay, 
yeah. that I can write about. Yeah. You felt lucky. I've got something to say about that. I do. I have one yeah. or two thoughts on, yeah. on that. I could probably, yeah, rally some some dot points yeah. together. Yeah. Um, so while I was, you know, researching and, and starting to put together some of the early drafts of the book, I realised, you know, I went online. I did a lot of kind of scouring of online forums and stuff about childlessness and miscarriage forums and by the way guys there's some really great forums out there if if this applies to you then please do look into it there's some great support online um but what I I came to realize was that the majority of childless people uh, are not really in my situation my situation's a bit out of the childless mainstream as mm -hmm. it is okay. so a lot of childlessness stories are more around miscarriage and infertility um IVF lots of treatments um trying to conceive for years and years and I, I kind of went wow like I, I still feel compelled to write this but maybe my story is not that relatable so I thought wouldn't it be great if we actually had a bunch of stories in here and that all kinds of childless people could like find a story that connects with them mm. and that really resonates so I thought well god I'm just going to put a little tiny advert on social media and then I'm just going to leave it to you okay so you're know, like if you want anyone to like if anyone's interested I don't know god big ass experiments so I put it out there and I went to bed one night and I woke up the following morning and I'm like oh you know just check my phone as I'm getting ready mm -hmm. and there was a flood of responses wow. that that scene going, that quick yeah, yeah yeah like overnight I'm like oh, what have I done <laughs> <laughs> you'd open something <laughs> yeah the, the proverbial pandora's box was yeah. was open well and truly and um and people were saying to me i really want to share my story mm. interesting because like for some people their childhood story has a lot of personal stuff in it right a lot of sometimes very sensitive issues i mean if you think about reproduction they could get pretty sensitive pretty fast yeah. so um so so details of, of like cases, yeah, yeah. it's you know I don't need all the graphic minutiae but um uh, so I kind of put it out there going I don't even know if anyone's going to want to do that but these people were keen they were enthusiastic and they were saying to me things like Steph we've got to get the word out there about childlessness we've got to raise the profile of childless people in our societies um, I had a few Christians get in touch with me and, and say things like, Steph, the church needs to know mm. about this. And I was like, okay, then, yeah, mm. all right. I've got my work cut out for me here. Mm. And in the end, I interviewed 14 beautiful people about their childlessness journey. So there was 13 women and one male. I was so grateful to have a male share his journey mm. with me as well. I was hoping there would be more, but I was grateful to just get one. Yeah. So it's my hope that in, in writing this book, it's not just about the Steph show. You know, it's not just my story. It's about all of our stories. Mm. And even though they're all unique, there are common threads that mm. we share. There's threads of difficulty and hardship and also how we've managed to come out the other side of that. And I don't mean that it's over. Yeah. Somewhere, somehow along the way, we've managed to find a way forward for ourselves we've managed to find perhaps a new shape of our lives or a new color <laughs> that our lives can take on and somehow being able to to live again and find hope again find dreams find mm -hmm. passions and that's such an inspiration 
yeah for me to see other people doing that is incredible so I've I feel ridiculously spoiled and privileged to just kind of share in those stories. But that is the other part of really what compelled me to get the book out there was the fact that it's not just me. It's a mm. bunch of it's a bunch of people all around the world. I had people from Australia, New Zealand and the UK um, sharing their stories with me. Yeah. So um, it's definitely not just me. It's not just an Australian thing. It's it's um, global. Yeah, it's a global thing. I thought that was interesting what you said about, you know, the fact that the response was so um, immediate yeah. and uh, and keen for that that opportunity. Like what do you think was the, um, was there a common thread around the motivation around that of people? Saying, like you mentioned a couple of times, we've got to get this out there. Like what do you think is under that? Like what do you think is a motivator for people to say, yes, I'm going to be part of this, this voice, this this voice collective voice needs to happen yeah there's a few common threads in that and one of them um, is the fact that many childless people feel isolated mm. in society yeah they feel like um, there are perhaps assumptions or judgments made about them as childless people and I've certainly encountered a bit of this myself um, often we encounter assumptions that childless people are kind of selfish and and greedy and miserly and um well you know they assume the childless people are child free so they're happy mm, and they're, yeah. they're they're loving their sleepings and they're loving their travel and they're yeah. loving all this stuff and it's like that's not what childlessness is this mm. is grieving a life that we've lost yeah this is not happy-go-lucky by any stretch of the imagination but yeah. sometimes there are assumptions that are oh, you know we just don't care about anyone else um maybe assumptions about we don't want to invest in the future of this planet or we don't care about the next generation um, or that we hate kids. Yeah. Um, we're unempathic um, feeling, um, psychopathic even. You know, there's some really interesting assumptions yeah. that surface yeah. um, when you start to dig down. And unfortunately, now I'm going to preface everything I say next about the church with the statement that I love the church. Yeah. <laughs> And I can second that. I know okay. you love the church. <laughs> I love yep. the church. Yeah. I didn't love the church. I just, you know, whatever, guys, whatever. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I speak up about issues I see in the church because mm. I think that the church can do better at including childless people and doing this thoughtfully and intentionally. So I've had some assumptions from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around things like, a woman's sole purpose on this earth is to bear children. Mm -hmm. uh, women are saved by childbearing, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I do address that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one little line of love stuff taken out of context. It's amazing. Out of context. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, assumptions that childless Christians are less spiritually mature mm. or that we lack faith. Mm. Um, or maybe we are lacking in blessing or lacking in happiness because we're childless. I've had the um, assumption that I'm in sin mm -hmm. as well. So it's somehow it was God's judgment, you know, is that what that kind of assumption? Is that what? It was more a case of if you don't have children, you're in sin because God commands us to have children. Oh, okay, yes. Yep. So following you, yep. If I follow that argument to its logical conclusion, that means that all the childless people on the planet are doomed. Mm. 
yeah yeah from a spiritual perspective yeah I just I can't believe that that is the case with everything I know about God and everything I read about Jesus mm. in the scriptures mm. and the kind of guy he was and is mm. he's the kind of guy who looks out for the marginalized in the mm. community yeah. and raises up the status of those who have been downtrodden and oppressed mm. and makes us all equal mm. in the kingdom we're yeah. all equal in Christ. Mm. So I can't believe this thing of if you have a different circumstance to the mainstream or a different circumstance to me, mm. um, that you are less spiritually deserving or less saved or <laughs> lesser in any shape mm. or form. Mm. Um, so that's, again, part of what I'm trying to challenge with raising this profile of childlessness is that sometimes it's not a reflection of, of our sin. Sometimes it's not a reflection of our faith. In fact, some of the childless Christians I know have incredible levels of faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about the faith it takes to, for example, undergo IVF, mm. I've, I've not had to do that, but I can just imagine the military-grade mentality it would take yeah. yep. to yep. get through that. That's a lot of faith. So I don't think it's helpful to compare our levels of faith one to another. Mm. I think it's fair to say that whatever difficulties we face it all requires faith mm. in god mm. so and i know certainly childlessness requires <laughs> faith mm. in god as well yeah. yeah just side sidebar side note i think too um you know i've often heard some of those things that you've you've spoken about in the church and oh they make me sigh on a number of levels <laughs> um and which I all, always have wondered and thought, you know, I, I guess of the thought process of, of when I hear those kind of things that, you know, particularly the two things you've talked about, singledom and childlessness, both of which Jesus was. So. I know. <laughs> Jesus was both of those things. And mm -hmm. so to say, you know, to reach that logical conclusion of being doomed by that or not being spiritual enough, I'm like, wow, that. Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, mm. and, I, and I, I think sometimes, and this is why I love discussions like this, because I think that it really, um, I, I think sometimes when those things come out, and, and this is in relation to, to childless people, to, to single people, to even women in ministry also. I mean, this can go over. We won't Absolutely. go into a whole other recording. Um, but um, often, you know, people are saying things they might have heard or learnt along the way and never wrestled or, or challenged their own thinking in that um, because it's never been something in the, the public discussion or it's never been something they've had to um, come up against and wrestle with in their own thinking. And that's why I love discussions like this because it, it forces people to, in, in a good way, like in a healthy and um, I think very Christ-like and very community of God way to really challenge our thinking around why why do I think that? Or why would I say something like that? <laughs> and to go back and to, to look at the life of Jesus and all those things that you mentioned about Jesus looking after the marginalized and speaking on you know they are that is the Christian life. And mm -hmm. um, and so yeah that's why one of the reasons why I think this conversation is so 
um, so great um, that it can just take us to a place of really thinking, <laughs> thinking logically <laughs> about some of those things. I think it's good. And, and mm. I can only imagine that a lot of those um, reactions and comments and things that you've, you've had and that other people have had, and I've, I, you know, I've read um, lots of different types of stories. Like you said, there's lots of stories out there and can just sense that, that, sense of sadness but also frustration and like I was saying that there's many deep sighs along the way like, okay we've got to have this conversation again um and and so I thank you for being a voice in that because I imagine it's not easy sometimes to continually have that conversation or to to feel like sometimes your voice isn't heard or um or even sometimes if your voice isn't asked for, you know, that it's not invited into the public discussion. So I just want to thank you for, um, and others that have shared their story that have really um, pressed through that and broken through that and, and um, for that purpose of helping others, but also educating others. And I think that's mm. really um, important. Mm. Um, so for those people listening who are maybe part of a faith community or have um, a faith or on that faith journey um, I just want to maybe shift the conversation a little bit and just talk about how um, the different ways I guess that childlessness can affect your faith um, and you know even in us talking about this beforehand I know I think it's really important to recognize that your story is different to other people's stories and so I really want to acknowledge that um, that whatever you say here might not be what other people feel and, and have experienced. But what? tell me a little bit about how your childless journey has affected your faith or been part of your faith. Yeah, sure. I, um, I think when we talk about childlessness and its impact, a lot of the times we're talking, broadly speaking, about grief. Mm. Um, so grief absolutely has the capacity to affect our faith. Um, and before we get into my journey, I do want to acknowledge that the, the stories are wide-ranging mm. around faith um, and grief and that I've got um, some childless people I know who they're, they've been through the childlessness journey. They're still walking that road, obviously. Um, don't you love the word journey, by the way? Everything's just a journey at the moment. <laughs> we have um, a, bit of a, a bit of a joke that uh, we call the journey jar, like a dollar in the jar for every time we say journey. <laughs> We'd all be rich. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I'm looking for another word as we speak. But um, <laughs> some some people, because of the grief of childlessness, have responded by clinging even more fiercely to God. So in some ways, that, that challenge to their faith has, I guess, prompted them to dig deeper mm. into their faith and hold on more tightly to God, which is a beautiful result of, of any hardship. Um, for others I know, and certainly there's um, a few stories in my book where um, childless Christians had their faith affected the other way. So it was actually um, damaged in the process of childlessness. Mm -hmm. So for some people they felt a bit kind of confused about what's going on here because I thought, God blessed people by giving them families and and we've been praying for a really long time and we still don't have the answer and and 
I thought God was kind of leading us down this path, but now there's like a dead end. So what's what's going on? Has God changed his mind? Did I do something wrong? Mm -hmm. Did I inadvertently change God's sovereign plan along the way? Did I not pray enough? Did I not have enough faith? Is there some secret sin that I'm not aware yeah. of? Yeah, is God angry with me? Is God, you know, like what have I totally. done? Totally. Like, like who do I blame here? Do I blame me or do I blame God, you know? Um, yeah. And some people felt there was one woman in the story, um, uh, John and Rachel's story, and she felt kind of, a push me pull you reaction with God, where part of her was like, you know, God, talk to the hand, like mm. just don't, like talk, yeah, no, no, no. And the other part of her was seeking to draw near to Him at the same time. So she was in this conflicted state of God, I don't know what to do with you mm. right now. And during that time, she found her Christian friends were really helpful. She was able to lean on their faith for a little bit, kind of borrow it mm. in a way, while her own faith was kind of you know, adrift in the tide, so to speak. Um, uh, other Christians, though, walked away from the faith. Mm. Um, some Christians got really angry with God and then slowly, kind of over a period of years, started to look at the possibility of maybe reconciling with God in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I think that journey requires incredible faith as mm -hmm. well. Like even when you don't have faith, <laughs> to mm. turn even one degree closer to God when you don't have any faith. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah, definitely. How do we even do that? I don't know how we even do that. Yeah. Um, and this is part of what inspires me when I read their stories is for people like us to walk through so much and still turn to God. I just think that's remarkable. Mm. Um, for me and in, in my story and my faith, um, I certainly turn to God a lot in the grief and what I get from God is a sense that he's he's present mm. during those really tough moments I don't get a sense of you know being abandoned or anything like that having said that I don't get answers from him either like if I if I ask good questions I usually don't get answers in that moment because it's actually not this is going to sound really strange but sometimes I don't even need the answers most what I need most is his companionship. Mm. I need his presence. Mm. That's that's what I need most. Have you ever been in such a state where you, you know, you just wanted to see like your favorite person mm. in the world and not because you needed to talk it out, mm. but because you just needed a hug yeah. or, you know, <laughs> to sit with you or to just, yeah, to just hug yeah. sit yeah. in silence. You don't have to say anything. And there's yeah. there something quite sacred about that, I feel, in that there's space. something beautiful yeah. about when you just hold a person's hand, and it doesn't have to be romantic, guys. I'm not necessarily talking yeah. about a romantic relationship here, but even yeah. just holding a friend's hand um, makes such a difference you know I've had times because of my illness where I've wound up in hospital mm -hmm. and um you know often my my husband is is there is <laughs> part of that but sometimes he hasn't always been available for whatever reason and on those times when I've had a friend mm -hmm. being there in hospital with me can I just tell you what a huge difference that makes mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that I'm not romantically involved with my friends <laughs> yeah the fact that they're prepared to sit in hospital with me Mm. makes such a big difference and they don't have to reassure me they don't have to tell me it's all going to be okay they don't have to give me advice or give me any answers it's their presence so that's what I find reassuring when I go through those grief 
rough spots and I've had a few rough spots you know I've had some slices out of the pie of grief I've had Mm. the sadness I've had disbelief at first especially at first around the illness it's Mm. like is this really like is it is it as bad as Mm. we think maybe we're just you know making a mountain out of a mole here Mm. maybe it's just kind of maybe it's going to be better Mm. Um, (laughs) maybe we'll just go check those numbers again (laughs) second opinion Um, (laughs) yeah 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 but but um when reality hit that no I think this is it I think we're going to be childish now the sadness really hit home Mm. and particularly the sad moment for me was um like many I I suppose many people on the planet we had selected names for Mm. our children Mm. very thoughtfully over a period of time we discussed back and forth and selected two very special names Mm. and when I realized those names would never be needed that's when it hit home Mm. and I still feel sadness about that and I feel guilt for not giving my wonderful husband children Mm. that's that's I would have loved to have done that um so some of these emotions and fear as well, fear about, you know, dying alone and those sorts of cliches <laughs> that you hear about as well. There's a part of that that kind of goes, oh, yeah, that sits like a cold lump right in the bottom of my stomach mm-hmm. there. That's yeah. not a nice sensation at all. Um, and with grief, we don't necessarily get over it. Mm. It's not necessarily something that you cure or that you fix, you know, which is why advice doesn't really help. Yes. Because how do you advise someone out of their grief? <laughs> The only way out is through. So yeah, God helps me in those moments to not run from the grief, I suppose. He helps you to kind of sit and breathe mm. and, and sit <laughs> um, without running and to feel what I'm feeling because grief only heals when it's felt, when we give it airtime, when we pay attention to it. So mm. that's kind of, it's weird to say that, you know, it's the grieving bit that helps me grieve. Mm. Um, but the biggest thing that's helped me with grief is to grieve. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think that I, I don't know about you, but, um, again, probably talking in those faith communities, um, you know, and I hope this really helps people um, because I don't know whether we've done grieving well mm. often. I mean, maybe as humanity, we don't necessarily in the West, sorry, I know some cultures <laughs> are grieving very well. And, and yes. um, like I know a friend of mine who has been in other cultures and she said it was actually so free and there was wailing, there was oh, you know, this open expression yeah. of grief and she felt so free in that because she'd come from our culture where it's, you know, it's, there's a day, you know, there might be a day that you grieve or a moment that you're supposed to grieve and then it's just going to get swallowed up in, in everything else and, Um, you know I think what you said there about the grief and that it's not linear there's not this move through these stages of of grief and then you arrive and uh, you know I think anyone who's experienced different forms of grief can testify to the (laughs) roller coaster and the the spaces from it and then the spaces in it and um, and I think that uh, acknowledging that that's a that's a, a a part of it that it's hard but helpful at the same time, I think is really, um, yeah, really profound, I think. And um, I think it's something that 
in faith communities, I think that we can, you know, making space for lament, making space for, for grief, I think is, you know, something that's pretty close to my heart. Beautiful. Um, and allowing, Beautiful. just allowing that and knowing that God's okay with that. Like God mm-hmm. wants us to come to him with that. And that just as you described, you know, having friend a friend there during those times of trouble, that's what God just wants to be there with us in it, right, and and carry us in it and mm. comfort us in it and just be there with us in that. And that's, um, yeah, that can be such a special and sacred place with God. Mm. Um, I agree. Yeah, where we I learn agree. things about him and about ourselves that we may not have learned in other places, <laughs> you know, and, uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, they can be special things. And, and so just that, that thought of that it's okay to bring those, you know, what sometimes culture would call the negative emotions, you know, like. The, <laughs> think, what is that, by the way? They don't make us feel good or maybe that's what it is. I don't, I don't know, but I just, it's okay to bring those to God. It's, um, you know, sometimes I think that there is, and you can, you know, tell me if this is um, a perception that you've had, but. And I've probably seen this in even in this whole childless space is, you know, the faith and breakthrough and look at the bright side and, you know, trying to move people past grief before that's Mm -hmm. appropriate or people Mm -hmm. are ready or or even trying to discredit that space Um, because I just think and it makes us feel uncomfortable (laughs) because we don't know what to do. Like we don't know. Some yeah, of yeah. people in their grief, maybe. I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I'm exactly the same. Like, I'm such yeah. a culprit for, you know, wanting to jump in and fix, yeah. you know, and yeah. be like a really healthy helper. Yeah. Um, I, I love encouraging people, and there's nothing wrong with that per mm-hmm. se. But you got to pick your moments, Steph. Yeah. Like, pick yeah. your moments. Yeah. Um, because when you're alongside someone who's grieving, there is no fix it. No. So even though we don't like to see our, our friends and loved ones suffering, I think that's part of it too. Like it is, it's very hard yeah. to witness someone else in pain. It's really yeah. hard. And we want to, you know, apply bandages and, and pop Panadol and yeah. do those things that are, yes. are likely to fix yeah. um, because we love them. We care about them and want them to get better. Mm. So with grief, though, because there's no Band-Aid or magic pill or, you know, formula mm. or even deadline for yeah. when it's going to just ping, you're done, yeah. um, it actually becomes about having companions for that journey mm. and not being left to grieve alone, mm. you know. And no, so sometimes, yeah. sometimes that means we're not going to know what to say. You know, mm. and we might even get it wrong. You know, uh, oh, oh, do you even want to talk about it? Oh, sorry, yeah. maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. You know what? I'll just leave. You know, yeah. <laughs> that progression down the hole. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, digging my own grave yeah. here. Exactly. Digging my own grave. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I come back to, and you know, I, I do talk through this in the book. You know, what not to say, and, and yes. things, <laughs> things that are more helpful because it is. It's so hard to know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes just the best way is is just to ask, mm. you know, like, do, do you want me here right now? Like, is is there anything you want to do? Anything you want to talk about? Or should I just shut up? You know, yeah. I can yeah. I can stop right now. You know, this yeah. is fine. Yeah. Um, but sometimes just check in. Yeah, you know, do you want me 
here for this bit. You know, I, I'm happy to stay. We don't have to chat about it. We can just sit and eat chocolate. I'm really happy to do that. <laughs> I'll um, put my hand up for that one. Anyone who wants to <laughs> eat chocolate, I'm in for that one. Yeah, chocolates. Chocolate's really good for surviving single chocolates yeah. and singleton. By the way, guys. Yeah, yeah. I think chocolate's fairly good for surviving it's, most things. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. I think there's a universal truth in that for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's um it's often about that preparedness to sit in vulnerability, I think, mm-hmm. that gets so hard for us. And um, Brene Brown, who I've quoted in my book, does some beautiful work on vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in the church, we can, we can benefit from considering this and perhaps um, looking at a space of vulnerability, what that's like for us. Sometimes it, it does bring up our own kind of stuff, our own willingness to sit in pain and and watching someone else in pain feeling a bit helpless feeling a bit powerless and you know what it's okay just to say that I've had times I've sat with friends and gone man I really wish I could fix this for you Mm -hmm. I really want to make this better you know don't know what to say right now but I love you and I'm here yeah, not going anywhere not going anywhere exactly it's so simple guys and it's in its truth it's it's that you know still love you we're mm-hmm. here if you need us you know yeah. do you want anything do you want us here do you want us to get out yeah. do you want us to talk do you want us to shut up you know just let us know yeah because um, grief can be hard like some days I don't know what I need mm. you know sometimes yeah, I'm yep. like <laughs> yeah I don't know if I want to talk about it or just like never speak of it again <laughs> you know it can go either way so um, it's very unpredictable. So that can be hard on family and friends. And it can be hard for the church too to quite know, you know, uh, uh, do we need to walk on eggshells around this person? So on behalf of childless people, no, don't walk on eggshells around us. Just ask. If you're not yeah. sure, ask and, and we'll probably let you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's about having grace for each other in that space too, isn't it? Just mm. kind of saying, you know what? And like you said, I may say the wrong thing here. And, you know, I think sometimes... <laughs> If we're coming in with that attitude, if we're approaching our relationships with this attitude of "Look, I'm, I'm I may stuff up, and it's okay if you tell me," or but it, that I think is much better than just not going there at all. I think, um, yeah, out of fear of oh, what if I say the wrong thing or whatever, because that just create it creates a chasm of isolation and yep. and division and and you know it it, it creates space that's um, that's um, is not cannot sometimes not be helpful in in grief and in absolutely um, need people around absolutely and that's that touches on a really crucial theme in childlessness is that we often feel isolated Mm -hmm. and not just because we're the only ones without a pram um Mm -hmm. or you know a car seat in our cars or um buying baby clothes at the shops it's not just because of all those reminders but it's because we're living, as you alluded to earlier, Edwina, we, we live in a pronatalist society, which is a fancy pants word for society favours child rearing yeah. and parenthood. Yeah. And, and it totally does. And, and the church is not immune, guys. Sorry, mm-hmm. but, but we're not. No. We're not immune yeah. to those effects. I've heard sermons about, you know, you will never know God's love until you have a child. Mm. So I guess we're all screwed then, those yeah. of us who are childless. Um, and, you know, the, the greatest possible gift is the gift of parenthood. Mm. Um, mm. And there are stories in my book, again, of people who heard those sermons mm. 
mm. firsthand mm. and then went home feeling like the most worthless person on the planet. So this kind of stuff, this is the stuff we need to be aware of, is the yeah. fact that not all of us are our parents, not all of mm. us have children. Mm. So let's make sure our language and our, our sermons and our program planning, let's make sure that it's intentionally inclusive. Yeah, of, of people who don't fit that that stereotype, you know. Yeah, yeah. and that's on family. so many levels. You know, that's you know, and I think that, um, you know, and I've probably been guilty of that myself many times in preaching, and 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 you tend to speak from your own experience too, and totally. also totally. it's a very natural thing to do. Hmm. But I think being, um, you know, mindful enough to know you know, I know part of my development as a speaker and as a preacher is to look out and say all these faces, all these people mm. all have a different experience of life than me. Mm. So how do I bring that, how do I bring that in and being conscious? You know, I think that's a really important thing for, for preachers and speakers and, like, th- think about your words, think about the, the um, examples that you use and think about the, you know, the particularly the examples that you're trying to draw commonality around, you know, draw like, oh, we all know what it feels like for that. It's like, no, no, we don't. We all know what that feels like. Um, Wait a minute. (laughs) And that goes for the, you know, there's so many examples, but um, and and I think it really is. I think it it needs to sit that that responsibility of, of, of when we're speaking to crowds of people um, that that we're shepherding <laughs> needs to be something that we um, take seriously from all all different perspectives. So all my pastor friends out there, take note of that one. <laughs> um, I I wonder if you know I, I know that you've you you have his permission, of course. But could you maybe <laughs> share? Um, you, you've mentioned your your wonderful husband. Mm. Um, maybe share some of the experiences or some of the difficulties or challenges that you had that is related to to this uh to the to journey again i'll say that word journey again the journey of titles but as a as a couple um yeah maybe you could speak into that absolutely no i'll be glad to well we chatted about it before this interview tonight and we were both kind of thinking what would be helpful for other couples to know about um i want to preface this with saying i realize that not all childless people are couples True. So, yep. so a lot of people are childless by circumstance and that circumstance is singledom mm-hmm. so um to those who are childless by singledom you know i see you mm-hmm. you are not <laughs> overlooked you are and you're definitely not alone in this mm-hmm. um my husband and i found probably the most helpful thing for us this whole time has been that we're together in everything. So from the get-go, all of our discussions around children, all of our decisions, you know, the selection of names, the timeframes, all that kind of stuff, all of that planning was done together. And so when it came to deciding about childlessness, it was a joint decision. We reached that together. Um, And there's been times when we've revisited that and gone, you know, with the disbelief, oh, is it really that bad? Or maybe we could try. What do you think? Do we, should we? Mm, Actually, no, maybe not. So we've we've revisited that together. And it's such an amazing thing when you you put all your cards on the table. Anytime there's questions or concerns, even hard conversations, you know, for me, one of the hardest things, and this is in my book, so this is public domain, mm. but one of the hardest things was and continues to be the guilt I feel towards him. And there was a time when I thought, 
would he be better off without me in the picture? Mm. Yeah, surely he could find someone who wasn't struck by this particular disease because it's a rare disease, so, you know, Mm. bound to find someone else. But the thing was, and we had those hard conversations, right? Mm. The thing was we both came into this marriage kind of later than most I can't just say most of society because society marries quite late, but relative to all of our Christian friends. <laughs> There's a difference between the Christian society and the rest of societies in there. You know, they were they were all, all married by the age of 21 and, and by the time we were 27, they were all deciding about should we have a third child or not. So um, mm-hmm. we, we met when we were 29. So we'd kind of, a mixed blessing of that was that we came into this kind of knowing if only in part that maybe maybe the, my idea of family is going to look different mm. now because it's happening late. So neither of us might get our ideal scenario here. Mm. So it almost kind of prepared us slightly in a way. Mm. Um, and there's been there's times when we struggle. Um, there's particularly around like certain dates in the calendar year. Mm. There's times that are hard for us. And the obvious ones there are Mother's and Father's Days. Mm. And hopefully that's self-evident. But um, anything, any occasion or event that is child-centric mm. in nature can be a little bit triggering for the old grief. Mm. So um, as an example, we went to Christmas carols one year. We, we used to go every year. And we were at this particular Christmas carol one year, and I can't even remember how long ago it was, but um, we were all kind of camped out in our camp chairs and there's you know, hundreds and maybe even thousands of people around, um, kids running around and families on their picnic blankets and, you know, animal farms and face painting, and it was all yeah. happening. Yeah, all um, very quintessential Christmas. All very, <laughs> you know, and, and we had our snack food and we were chilling, yeah. listening to the music, you know, this is great. And I went off to do something terribly exciting I think it was to find a portaloo that's what yeah. I was doing yeah. also and Christmas carols yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I never thought of it like that but there's yeah. so much truth in there yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know I was away for you know a matter of minutes um came back to find Chris in tears mm. and I was like what what what's wrong what <laughs> Gone well, from yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where's, yeah. where's this come from? And mm. he'd been sitting there alone, watching all the kids run around, mm. having fun, laughing their heads off, um, or sitting with their families mm. on picnic blankets, all looking very, very happy, mm. which is beautiful, right? Mm. It's such a beautiful picture. I love that picture. And for the record, I love watching kids run around and, you know, watching them play in our neighbourhood and all that stuff. I love that. I love that. But for him in that moment, sitting there on his own, it was too much. So we made a decision. No more Christmas carols. (laughs) That's not actually good for our mental health. It's not good for our sanity. So we make these decisions sometimes to opt out and, we don't really kind of ask for anything around that except that people just kind of understand, even if they don't understand it, it's just, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's too hard. Mm. So, so that's where sometimes the struggle still lies is that some of those obvious events kind of bring a flood of grief back. 
So we go in and out of that. We do find, because we love serving in our local church, mm. um, we do find that those things are easier when we're serving. Mm. So there was a, a not too long ago a baby dedication and I think I was playing keyboard that day and I think oh, my oh, husband man. was on. Yeah, he was on production <laughs> and, and it was completely fine. Mm. It was completely fine because we were ministering. Yes. Right? We were focused on others. So that was totally fine. Mm. Having said that, there was a slightly delayed reaction when we went home afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it actually helps when we are, you know, when we are there for other people. Mm. That helps us a lot with our grief. But grief might still be there because it's unpredictable. So Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think it's really important what you said there too, that it's not an either or thing. It can be a grief and something else too and I think that that's exactly um you know again that's part of the 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 messiness or wrestle of life is that you know things that we think are in opposition to each other but we actually hold them at the same time and that's okay like that's but it's confusing and messy and doesn't always look the same each time you know as to how we hold oh, yes. things and yes um yeah and I you know watching you guys I love the way that you um you you walk that and the, and the way that you communicate that you know I've loved you know as as your pastor I've loved the way that you've communicated and been open about that and but also been encouraging around those things and um and uh um yeah so it's the holding of the two together I think exactly yeah 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 yeah. we try as much as possible you know we to rejoice with those who rejoice and and weep with those who weep so a baby dedication is a great time for rejoicing (laughs) and we do like we genuinely feel that like this is this is something worth celebrating yeah um so we do um and then there's weeping with those who weep in equal measure. Yeah. So both both have a place. And I think that's a good message for the church. You know, sometimes we get a bit swept away in positive psychology and um, yeah. and rainbows and, and puppy dogs, that kind of thing. And some of my interviewees have had that experience too in churches. They've, they've mentioned that in the book. Um, it's unfortunately it can feel painful when you feel like you're the only one in your church that's actually going through a hard time Mm. and you feel like maybe you can't really speak about it because maybe it gets minimized or dismissed or you know you get those those pad answers you were referring to earlier you know or just you know cheer up you know it's look on the bright side (laughs) count your your blessings (laughs) throw you You in a context uh, bible verse to make you cheer up and have more faith or something like that (laughs) yeah yeah we've we've heard those and I'm sure you've heard many yeah yeah indeed and I know that in like an important part of your book and, and the mission, like as you said, of your book is talking about how faith communities can be more inclusive of childless people. And I thought this is a really good quote that I, like it's actually on the back of your book. Um, I loved it. It says, when childlessness is becoming as common as smashed avocado, which is pretty common, <laughs> um, many churches often focus on children and families at the expense of childless people. Those who are childless are often inundated with fixed advice aimed at um, curing childlessness, everything from relax to repenting of sin, which you've touched touched on. Um, so what, what would you like the church to know and the faith communities to know about that? Like how can we better support? How can we be better supported, better be that family of God um, with, with childless friends and loved ones? 
Yeah, I think it's that inclusivity that we've been chatting about. And as you've mentioned, childlessness is not the only minority group. Yeah. You know, there's there's singles, there's divorcees, there's people with disabilities, mental health issues. Um, those people in our congregation who identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, mm. there's many, many circumstances where people might feel a bit on the outer. And the church is, in my view, it's the most welcoming, inclusive place on the planet or anywhere else. And that's our job to live that out and make sure everyone knows it, either implicitly or explicitly, um, that everyone is equally welcomed, equally valued, mm. and that their voice matters equally yes. in the life of that family. Yeah. Because sometimes we get messages that, um, you know, perhaps what you have to offer is, is slightly less because, you know, you're childless. Mm. Um, so, you know, because you can't really understand the needs of parents. How could you understand? Yeah. Um, or you can't really represent families, can you? Because, you know, you don't really have a family. Mm. Even though a family of two adults is still a family, I'm just going to say <laughs> that there and then move on. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Um, so it's that, it's that intentionality about yeah. inclusivity. And I, as I say, I don't think that's just um, limited to childlessness. But what I will say is that um, when it comes to responding to childlessness, there's, there's certain things that are definitely not helpful. So um, telling us to adopt, Mm-hmm. You know, they all have you considered adoption, yet we have. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. We, we weren't born yesterday, and we have the internet, and um, we've <laughs> we've thought about um, IVF and adoption, and a whole bunch of other options. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the giving advice that you know, have you tried? Have you tried sniffing oregano? Have you tried chanting? Yeah. Have you tried, you know, yeah. Uh, either we have or we're not going to go there. So you yeah. giving us advice about that is not really yeah. um, all that handy. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, not trying to fix it, but actually just being present mm-hmm. with people who aren't might be in the middle of grieving mm-hmm. um, and just asking. I, I gave a great example in my book. I've got a very dear friend who is a parent. Yep. So some of my best friends are parents. Mm-hmm. Um, she, one day we were chatting and she turned to me with a very interesting question and said, Steph, have I, as a parent, ever said or done anything to hurt you as a childless person? Mm. And I went, whoa. Great question. Great question. No one's ever asked me that before. (laughs) And happily, my answer was an honest no. Mm. But the fact that she asked, Mm. I thought, that's how you do it. Have I done anything, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, mm. that's maybe been unhelpful mm. for you as a childless person? And I think that's a great message, not just for, for pastors and leaders, but certainly for church leaders. Mm. Um, but for any member of the congregation, you know, do you do you know who the childless people are in your church? Mm. Are you aware of who those people are? Who's who's looking out for them? Is is anyone? Mm. Um, who do they have for support? Mm. I think that support is so crucial because there's people that I know, there's childless people, as I mentioned to before, some in my book, where they leaned on Christian friends when their faith was getting hard. Mm. And how important is it that we have a safe haven in our church family Mm. if our faith does get affected by childlessness or by anything else in life? Mm. We really need that. That's so important. And our our spiritual family 
is is actually the family that's going to last for eternity. You know, we've got these yeah. these temporary families here on Earth. We're yeah. gonna get we're gonna get those for a short time. Yeah. That's yeah. that's not the long the long game, guys. That's yeah, that's only yeah, that's like we're gonna get a couple of years and that's it. Um, our spiritual family is who we're going to be living with for eternity, mm. and we are just as responsible for them as we are for any blood or marriage relations. They're they're all our responsibility. Yeah. We need to be thinking about it like that, like with a view of eternity, I think, um, rather than, oh, it's, isn't it so great that I've got my own little, my own little family now? Yeah. Um, our spiritual family is way bigger than that. And um, that's one thing that childless people can think about in terms of like surviving mm-hmm. and recovering is the idea of, of spiritual investing, spiritual parenting. Yeah. and spiritual mentor I think that's such a valid um, part of the life of the church that perhaps gets a little bit lost sometimes in the whole you know uh, well you know parenting is the greatest gift on the planet um, we sometimes forget that spiritual parenting is a thing and Paul in the Bible gives an example of Timothy being his son um, mm. to my knowledge Paul didn't have kids mm. but he's talking about his son yeah so and that's that's a relationship that'll last for eternity. Yeah. Yeah. What Paul gave to, to Timothy, what he invested in Timothy and passed on, that's going to survive in Timothy forever. Mm. So that idea of the people we pour into in our spiritual mm. family, and, you know, I say mentoring, and that, that implies like a formal relationship <laughs> thing, but it doesn't have to be that for, you know, it could be anyone that we've prayed for or encouraged or mm. given time or resources or inspiration to in some way. Mm. And that lasts for eternity. I, I do, I wonder when we get to heaven, how many spiritual kids we're going to meet. Mm. Yeah. You know? I really do. That's this is the kind of stuff I think about. Yeah. Because legacy God. is legacy is really important to a childless person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it can't so be focused on on this life. We have to think about eternity. Okay, what am I going to do now with my life that's going to last forever? It's going to last beyond me. It's going to yeah. be bigger than me. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's a really it's a it's a beautiful thought. And I think that um you know, again, to any pastors and leaders out there too, like I think one thing that you mentioned there and you, you've mentioned it quite quickly, but was to, as pastors and leaders, um, ensuring that we have the voice of the, the marginalised or those who feel a little bit left out, that we're asking for that. And, you know, often as pastors and leaders, we're hearing the voice of the majority. Yeah. <laughs> Because often that's the, of course, the loudest in you. That's the one that's that the you feel like you have the momentum with. And, um, you know, but Jesus, and, and I think in that too, you know, because of that, it's very easy for us to have our little tribes, you know, even in the Absolutely. church. Jesus Absolutely. He wasn't into tribes. <laughs> he wanted to knock that down. And I, and I, that's the beauty of, of the picture of the kingdom of God and the picture of the family of God is, is the disintegration of those tribal lines you know that we don't just stick to our you know what we would call our people and even our catchphrase Mm. for our um our church is my home my people but by that we don't mean just find the people who are like you and have lives like you and do the same thing (laughs) as you it's it's all of us 
this yeah. is our people and to be be inclusive and but I think for pastors and leaders particularly and I know I've been really challenged in this and I thank you for opening um, my eyes to this and more to this is to really make sure that I'm asking for the voice of those mm. not just assuming not just thinking oh this is what I think you know Chris and Steph might you know that single person might need or what that person with a disability might need or anything but actually having those conversations and saying Mm. how do you experience our church Mm. as a a valued member as a as somebody who is here in our faith community as part of our family how do you what's it like for you tell me (laughs) that's such a valid question and it's a vulnerable question right it's one where you have to be prepared to listen to the answer Um, you might not always like what you think (laughs) yeah it's it's not all bad like I've had some some terrible church experiences but also some great ones you know Mm -hmm. I've I've been publicly mocked for for being childless and told I'm in sin Um, at the same time I've also had some brilliant experiences Mm -hmm. where where we haven't been treated any differently Mm. because of being childless and in fact some of my favorite times in in church have been when it's as simple as this guys you know when a pastor sort of pauses in the middle of a sermon on hardship and says and by the way if you're childless or single your hardship is just as big Mm. it's just as real it's just as challenging And and then they move on and I'm like oh I've been seen yeah <laughs> I exist yeah it's so nice yeah um and one of the best sermons I ever heard was a Mother's Day sermon mm. where a pastor spent the entire time she didn't mention a single human mother yep. not one and she talked the whole time about God's motherly traits and I went that's so refreshing yeah God's motherly traits, because the Bible's filled with them. So I've put a bit of a list together in the book, you know, in case, you know, speakers and preachers are interested. But that's the kind of thing we can think about, guys. Like, why why does it have to be about us? Yes. Why can't it be all about God when we go to church Mm. and and put the focus back on him? I, I don't disagree with Mothers and Fathers Days, by the way, guys. I'm not I'm not anti Mothers and Fathers Days. I actually agree with honouring people for the work they do. Yeah. I do believe in that. Mm. At the same time, when I come to church, I want to hear all about God Mm. and his traits. And for me, that's more helpful than trying to do Mother's Day in a more inclusive way because I find that (laughs) it it, it doesn't always work. Even when it's done really well, it's still a bit bit hard. So um, that's, that's the kind of thing that I find really helpful. Yeah. in church when we are just treated as equals as adults <laughs> who yeah. can speak up and say no and, and be honest um, but also when the focus is on God and it's on our eternal home and living for that eternity not just living for for now and the next few years that's yeah. that's what I find helpful yeah and then that's it's a it's a good thought and and you know, really that's what the Bible talks around as our point of unity is not our point of unity and what we all have in common in our life experience. It's it's our focus on God and coming around that, that's when the tribalism, the, the tribal lines disintegrate. Like that's yeah. what that's that's how it happens when we, we're all coming around that in unity. So yeah, yes. thanks for that. Um thanks for that, Steph. I think um you know, coming to coming to the the end of what we're, we're talking about, but um, and I've so appreciated this discussion. Um, what would Me be too. um, 
you know, wrapping up, what would be your message to other childless people? What would you want them to take away from a discussion like this? If there's only one thing you take away, guys, you're not alone. Mm. Yeah. If you don't remember anything else today, just remember that that simple and profound truth that we are not alone in childlessness. There's people all around the world who are going through what you're going through. And if you're struggling with childlessness, you're certainly not alone in that. And that there is hope. <laughs> there is hope for life beyond childlessness. There is hope for rediscovering perhaps parts of yourself that might have been shelved because of childlessness. There's hope for reinventing yourself. Um, I didn't expect to become a writer, mm. but surprise, surprise, yeah, <laughs> all are. sorts of things are possible. <laughs> yeah. um, so reinvention is possible. And my book is chock full of stories and examples mm. of people who've found a passion to follow. Um, and for some people, that's like becoming a bit of a childless champion. Mm. Um, so there's a number of people who are championing the cause of childless people. That could be something that you do. Um, reconnecting with parts of yourself as well. Mm. Um, perhaps reconnecting with um, a sport or a hobby or something creative, maybe that you've done before or that you've never done, but always kind of wanted to do. This is the mm. time to, to try new things. Um, if children haven't happened for you, then, and you're asking the question, what now? Or mm. what next? This is a time where you can kind of be a little bit adventurous, you know, Think of the wildest thing you can think of. What would it take to do that? Think about the things you enjoyed doing as a kid. This is a time to try that stuff and find out what kind of life you can have, what kind of person you can be. Mm. I think the other really important message, and this is particularly for people of faith um, and not necessarily just Christian faith either, but um, people who um, have or had a belief in God and maybe that's been hurt mm. by childlessness, that there is there is hope for faith as well after childlessness. It is possible. And God is so incredibly gracious. I mean, he's been that patient with me, guys, like <laughs> stupidly patient. Like I'm like, are you serious? Like you're still patient with me? Like why? <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've had um I've had my share of bad experiences in life. I'm old enough and ugly enough. I've walked through a few things. And at times my faith has been really badly hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and what I figured out about God through those challenges and now through the grief of childlessness is that he, he waits for us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how long we take in that space of maybe uncertainty or maybe blaming him. Um, or blaming ourselves uh, or just not knowing which way is up anymore. Mm. Like the rug of faith has been pulled out from under my feet and I don't know where the heck I am. Mm. Um, that God waits even in those weird in-between spaces yeah. when we're still questioning who we are and what life is. And he's, he's waiting in that space for us. And I think when we talk about vulnerability, I, I want to... Um, just highlight this point as well we talk about vulnerability we often don't think about God as being vulnerable mm. but this is something yeah. that's come to me just really recently I've been a Christian most of my life guys and only really recently I've thought about God as vulnerable and if you think about how Jesus came to earth and walked amongst us 
and the times when it could have called down angel armies and, you know, mm. just a single word or a single command and, and righted so many wrongs. But he kind of, he lived as a frail human. Mm. And he, God's affected by us. Like he's affected by the things that affect us. Mm. He, he's empathic. Like he's an empathic God. He has compassion. It says in the Bible, he's mm. abounding in love, gracious, compassionate. He actually feels what we feel so when we're grieving, he's not kind of standing off at a distance going, oh, God, would you hurry up and get yeah. over this yeah. grief? Or, yeah. Oy, how much longer do you need? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, that's, that's not him. No. That's, yeah. that's not his character. Yeah. He's actually with us and feeling that grief with us and impacted by our grief. And, you know, I think God weeps. I think there's times when he weeps. And I know there's times when Jesus wept. And that idea for me that when I'm weeping, that God is not only there, but he might be weeping with me, mm. uh, that just bowls me over. Yeah. It's a, it's like a what kind of a God is that? Yeah. 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 And I, I'm always reminded when I think about God's empathy and his vulnerability, I'm reminded of that story in Narnia where, um, you know, Aslan and Diggory meet in that first story and, and Diggory's so upset about his mum being sick. And he says, you know, he's crying. Please, sir, please, won't you help? Won't you help my mother? Won't you make her better? And he looks up, finally has the courage to look Aslan in the face. Mm. And to his profound surprise, he sees that Aslan's eyes are filled with tears. Mm. And Aslan says, my son, I know, I know. Mm. That's, that's, for me, that's the picture of how God empathize with us so when he waits for us he's not standing in a queue somewhere going oh I wish they'd hurry up it's not yeah. that kind of waiting mm -hmm. it's a waiting that is fully immersed yeah in that experience with us it's it's attached it's vulnerable he's feeling what we feel yeah. and for a God like that to be waiting for us yeah. man I just how can you not love a God like that yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 no, that's beautiful stuff. What a beautiful image to finish on. <laughs> to, to be able to kind of take that away. And, and I really hope that um yeah, I really, really sense that that's that's hit somebody right right here in that. Mm. And um yeah. Look, as we finish up, how can um people connect with you? How can they buy your book? How can they read your blogs? How can they find out more about you or just continue on this um you know find I guess that whole you're not alone um, message of part of that is connecting with with other people's stories and so yeah how can they connect with you in that yeah absolutely so I'm on um I know this video is going up on Facebook so I'm on Facebook guys yeah. um Steph Penny author I think is my my username there um so you can find me and all the details about my books and um, updates and blogs all on there. And I'm on Twitter as well. I've got a website um, where you can find everything that I do. So the website's the place to buy the books um, and also to read all the blogs that I write. I usually put out a weekly blog and those blogs are about um, issues around childlessness and singledom around chronic illness as well because that's my third book that I've started writing awesome. so yeah. <laughs> um, and I also write about writing sometimes and about worship and and how do we live for God counterculturally in a way that's that's different to the world um, 
I my books are also available at Kurong. So certainly if you're in Australia or New Zealand, Kurong are still delivering. If you're outside of that, then uh, I don't think Kurong can help you at the moment. But my books are up at Kurong. Um, I also have um, e-books available and I've got paperback versions of childlessness on Amazon. So if you're in Australia, but also if you're in the UK or in the States, then it's available on Amazon there as well. It's also available on Barnes and Noble, um, Apple Books, Booktopia, uh, Book Depository, I think, and a bunch of others as well. Yeah. Um, you can also go to your local bookstore and ask them to get a copy in for you, and they will do that. The only difference being, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little bit of gloss stuff on the, the front of my book here. That gloss feature you can only get if you order direct from me or from Kurong. So just letting you know, just yes, so you know. That's like the gloss. Yeah. Yep. There was, um, <laughs> as part of World Childless Week, guys, I'm giving away a free copy oh. of this book. Yep. So if you want to find out how, if you want to enter that giveaway, you go to worldchildlessweek.net. You can enter the competition. And I believe that closes this Saturday, 7 a.m. Australian okay. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. So for your chance to get a free copy, get on there. Shipping yeah. paid for, yeah, 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 that's the way to do it. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll pop some of those links in just the way that you can get in contact with you through your website and we'll pop them in the chat too. Um, Perfect. So that people can do that. Well, thank you so much, Steph. Like, I've just loved, um, yeah, just chatting with you. I feel like yeah, we've probably gone on for another hour and a half, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I just maybe we will. Thank you. Yeah, we will. <laughs> maybe there'll be a part two. <laughs> um, and yeah, just thank you. Thank you for your your openness and, and willingness to to have this discussion and to share your lived experience. And um, and and thank you to Chris for. Um, you know, being able to, to speak about that. Because I think that that's, um, you know, again, that's probably for a whole nother, the whole nother <laughs> thing. But, um, you know, even the fact that in your responses you had, was it 13 females and one, one, one male? Yeah, yeah. And I just mm-hmm. you know, I feel that that space for, for sharing the story of men through this is, is probably one that's emerging and coming out. Please. More, we need more yeah. men, yeah, more men's so, stories, yes. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, um, you know, a voice that maybe is yet to be told to more and more and, and that space to open up. So I really want to encourage that if you're watching today and uh, you're a man and you would like to um, share your voice, maybe you know, get in contact with Steph to find out how and, and how to do that because um, I'm sure she'd be more than happy to point you in the right direction and encourage you in that. And um, so thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, this evening and it'll probably be this this morning by the time this gets on Facebook <laughs> when people are watching it. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for the for the discussion. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure yeah. to have this chat. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. All right. So thanks everyone. Um, yeah, get in contact with us if you'd like any more information about C3 Camden or about anything that we've talked about today and um, I'd be glad to help you so enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you all soon well thanks so much ladies I really hope that interview has challenged inspired encouraged you I know it has for me I really need to go back and listen to it more than once because uh, Steph your ability to articulate uh, what it's like to be facing that feeling of being on the outside 
is incredible. You did that so well. And you're also so warm and understanding. You know, sometimes people can feel embittered when they feel left out or misunderstood. But you just spoke with such graciousness. And uh, my heart is that we can all represent that well. We can always be on the lookout for how do we include other people in our community. You know, Jesus was always about reaching out for the poor, the marginalized, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, the disenfranchised. That's the heart of God. And I believe to be effective as Christians in culture, we need to be able to be always doing everything we can to reach out to those around us who are doing it tough right now. So friends, that brings us to the end of this episode. Looking forward to being with you in future episodes. We've got so much planned. We're lining up interviews with people who have had COVID. So you're going to hear firsthand about their journey of battling through COVID. Also planning on talking to people who've experienced some of the challenges of lockdown, the isolation, the financial hardship. So many areas where we as a church right now have a choice to fight for our rights or to give up our rights and lay down our lives for the cause of others. And that's my heart for you as you listen to this podcast, that you will be one of those who chooses to look beyond ourselves despite our own challenges and represent Jesus well and bring his kingdom into the lives of other people. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today and I'll talk to you next time. Oh,